Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. I just want to clarify something. If you were here yesterday, I was talking to my wife and then James, and, and apparently I probably say something that maybe um, made James look bad. And Rosie, that was not my intention. I was maybe what I can recall was that I said that when they came from Pakistan, they were they probably struggled. But the the intent for me was that bringing children back and putting them in another culture, I, I probably left that like short. So I was never saying that, that you guys were, if that was what you recall, but then I kind of feel bad because I'm like, the life of a partial bilingual person is just very difficult because sometimes I start saying something and because I'm doing translation, then I just forget and I'm not fully bilingual. I know I can speak English, but I still struggle. So love you guys. You guys are one of the greatest examples in my life. So, but anyhow, the... Uh, but so I, because I, I mentioned Genesis yesterday, and, and, and I know James will will talk here about a, um, a, a something special. I, I want to point again, so if you want to give me the, the first slides there, but the first family that we saw in the Bible, which I kind of talked a little bit yesterday, that first call, that first man, that first family, uh, give us the call for our children, because this is what, what we want to share this morning, children, you know, Genesis 1, 28, this is kind of like a way for me to summarize what we talked yesterday in terms of that one flush, you know, that necessity for us to be one, one-minded and, and, and invested. So the Bible says, and God blessed them, and God said into them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And I know we know this, right? That's the, that's the goal. You know, the intent of God when he placed man in the garden was to be fruitful in the, the hardest multiplication. I know the commission here is different. You know, they were multiplying in terms of, you know, making babies and make sure that the earth get, get, get full of people. But for us, it's the same thing. You know, in terms of uh, in a spiritual life, we have to multiply. So again, if you don't have children, this is a great opportunity to know that the call has never changed. In every dispensation, the intent of God is always the soul of man. And this first family always give us the opportunity just to examine where we are after a missions like this. You know, well, man, when is the last time that you were fruitful? When when is the last time that we that we really multiply what God entrusts us, you know? And for us, they have children. I think it's very important because if we desire to avoid failure for the, for the future, then we need to engage our children with the things that we do. For example, in our team's mission, we create something that we call two-by-two two trips. The goal of those two-by-twos were not just to get a couple dudes and just go and take a trip. It was to take your disciple to a place that is new just to get familiar, just to get exposed to, to the reality of that. The, 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 the fruit that we want to present to our Creator require 
a fully engaged family. We cannot partially go with children to Pakistan just to keep using Pastor James with a family that is partially engaged. Because if Jesus gave it all, then, you know, we, we have to engage the family and just give it all. Although our children learn through direct instructions, our, our kids need something that is di di direct. I talked yesterday about the, the principles that I roll in my house, and it's the three big R's, you know. I have rules that, that I cannot negotiate, period. And, and those things are things that I have to present with a direct teaching. I have to be uh, super creative at times, but then also they need to learn observing what we do. And that's why this is very important that we, we are teachers. We need to be very premature when we're teaching. With your disciples, there's topics that you have to present while you're discipling, you know, where you're growing uh, people with your children is the same thing. So we need to be teachable in this. So um, James is going to be talking, um, if you want to move on, um, no, what? just give me one more. Nope. That's the topic, right, James? So he's going to be talking about a mission, a strategy that wins now, but loses the, the, the future. So, you know, we have to consider this uh, a big time. And, and um, if we are thinking about missions and having a strategy, we don't want to lose what God entrusts us. You know, we need to be uh, parents that they consider that what God give us, we need to present them to then engage. Parents need to provide a loving leadership that is tender, that they can uh, bring perspective, you know, to our children. And, and that is very key. Uh, one of the most important roles that, that, that we have with our children is just to model really how the ministry look. Uh, our our ministry cannot be validated. No, I don't want to run these. I don't know. I think Miller give put the new one. You you, you can yeah. No, just just you can push forward. Just more yeah. Yeah. So first point then. Just let's go start there. But every child in this world must grow spiritually and physically. So look what the, the Bible says in, in Luke. Just thinking about Jesus. We have to look at Jesus, but Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased his wisdom and his stature and in favor with God and man. It is my goal to see this desire in my children, that increasing, and we see how... Uh, Right. You're getting me lost there. Yeah, there you go. So then we need to uh, uh, make sure that our children are not just staying where they are. That mentality needs to be always, uh, uh, you know, our heart to just expose our children as much as we can to uh, make sure that they are um, engaged to what we do. One of the things, and this is one of the first points that I want to make here, is teach appropriate behavior in terms of mission. Now, in this point, we can skin this thing very different because I think families can have different way to deal with the children. In my family, uh, me and my wife decide that we want to, and, and I want to use the word premature, 
because I always want to be the first and I want to do it early. There's some parents that decide that until the situation comes, they address it. I'm in the camp that I, I want to be very premature and I want to teach them what is appropriate immediately because that's when I set the rules. That's like for, for myself, when I start doing discipleship, I I have to, you know, learn. No, bro, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. No, it's it just, I'm, I think I need to forget about this and uh, you have to do whatever you got to do there. But yeah. So, uh, but, but as a parent, you know, teaching what is appropriate is going to be key because that's when we really set rules, roles. I, I teach my, my children, this is your role and your role for now is just to be in a student because they don't like school. They don't like school. But that's part of the, of the rules, you know. There there's some rules that we follow, which which, which you know, which come through the, through the Bible and Scripture. But then, one of the roles is just to be in students. We you know we have to study the Word of God, and they know that we have to go to to school. And part is to study really how to take care of the bodies. We believe that our family need exercise, and and we believe that's appropriate, is necessary and how to behave in, in different places in the mission. Most of the times you see how these get hurt because we're not intentional when it comes to appropriate behavior. We just let them go. Uh, Jamie is saying, you know, uh, we need some, some be a strategic. Yes, I want to be a strategic to lose my kids, but to win the world not just to lose my children like for good, you know. I just, so then for, for that reason, I wanna be intentional. Proverbs, Proverbs 3.1, my son forget no my law. That's the whole thing. It's what the Bible says, you know, and, and again, moving countries, going to another state, going to another place, we can have the tendency to no mention what the Bible says to our kids because we're doing all the good job. You know, because we're the missionaries. But let me tell you, God doesn't call your children. He called you. The, the kids are coming. It's our job to engage. You know, we don't, same thing. If you don't have kids, you cannot have the, the expectation that they get it all. That you have to engage that. But let thine heart keep my commandments. So when in mission, we have the opportunity to show appropriate behavior because it's necessary. Yeah, and you don't need to put that notes. You roll me to the next one. But things are new when we go to the mission field. When you just move, I remember moving from Costa Rica to United States. I was not engaged with the proper things to do in United States. I got in trouble. The first time I came single. And it was very difficult because nobody teach me how to behave in terms of, uh, you know, what is appropriate to United States. So let me give you an example. I came as a single and I came to a place called Monmouth, Illinois. And, and this is going to take me to the, to the uh, one before, no, the, uh, the inappropriate behavior. So I came to United States as a Costa Rican. You kiss everybody in Costa Rica. You hug everybody. You're, you're always, you know, hugging too much. And, you know, so obviously I go to a church, surrender out of corn and, and large fields, and I'm kissing 
everybody, especially ladies, you know, I'm, I'm single. I'm like, Lord, if you can give me one, you know, I'm uh, proposed six times and say, you know, everyone say no to me. I'm like, I'm going to be single. But anyhow, I go to a new church and I'm kissing everybody, everybody, you know, just no, nobody say anything. So this is just one example how bad I got in trouble because I got to another culture to be a missionary, kissing everybody, including some men, because you just kiss everybody in Costa Rica. They're little, you know, they just get you. Well, then uh, after literally three weeks, I'm sitting with the whole elders around my pastor in Costa Rica, Jeff Adams in, in Kansas City with Marco Castro, the pastor that sent me. And I got all the deacons in the church and I'm getting in trouble. And I'm being accused of being inappropriate because I'm kissing everybody. I, I hug it. Well, nobody told me. But with our children, it's the same thing. We, 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 we teach what is appropriate. And then we need to move very quick, especially when you go to another culture and the things that are not good behavior. Because unless you do this prematurely, then they get in trouble. And I don't know what is the heart here uh, uh, from James in the next uh, uh, session, but... I do want to lose my kids, right? But it's, it's almost like you 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 extend that rope and you let them go, but I still want to get them, you know? I want to lose them up for, for the gospel to have free course. But then they have to know what is appropriate and they need to know what is inappropriate. I would like to hear maybe a story out in Pakistan how a kid can get a little bit lose or lost in terms of being in another country with another different type of people where maybe you know everyone hugged the the kids and i remember i think rosie was saying something about um uh, uh gracie you know because people hold her and she was very affectionate you know and now she's a little bit loose you know or or maybe not but but think about it for kids that can be a, a problem so as parents, we have to be so intentional and premature in our teaching that I hope this help you. Galatians 5, 15. But if ye by endeavor one to another, take heed that, no, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So being inappropriate can take us to a, a lonely places. It can, be, it, it, it can be very difficult. So we have to be intentional. In terms of culturally, listen, locally, internationally, we need to make sure that we're investing, but we need to be very premature. Make sure that the culture is not going to ruin what God gives us. There is, a Christ, there is a Christian culture that we also have to, or have the tendency to invest in, in new believers. And sometimes they just don't know. And we think that, the same investment that I got can probably work with somebody. Well, you need to know the audience, but the Christian culture can overwhelm people too. So, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's grasping everything, put it in all together and just make it, making sure, you know, the, 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 you know, God is in what we do. Um, encourage obedience by high, by highlighting the blessings that come with you have to encourage obedience you want to give me the next encourage obedience by highlighting the blessings that comes with it like listen there's blessings to just serve the lord there is so much and i want my children always just to see that like 
So, and I know maybe some of you guys don't have kids, but man, it is so important just to embrace them and like, hey, listen, this is hard. Moving to another country it is hard. Going, you know, locally, maybe locally, but out of your own town. But man, it, there's there's blessings. Yoder, I know you're you're sitting here. Do you remember the blessings from seeing your parents serving all the time until this day? I know he was one of our uh, high school students when I was uh, out of uh, Kansas City Baptist Temple, and and you can tell that you know he, he's he's giving. Headaches, headaches, and, and is shaking a little bit, you know, he grew up, but then he saw his parents, you know, serving, and there's blessings. And I believe you never forgot that, right? And he's sitting here. I know you got a little bit loose, right? Just a, a little headaches, and, you know, and 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 that's okay. But then he, he that, that experiment of seeing parents, like, wow, man, my parents are just engaged. With, with, they're still, you know, until this day, Proverbs 3. Verse 1 and 2, my son forget no my lot, but let thy heart keep my commandments. For, for the length of the days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Man, there is a blessing just to serve the Lord. And there, there, there's so much counseling that I did in high school up in the other church. And in KCBT, we had like 150 students coming. And, and one of the reasons... One of the most common uh, concerns that me and my wife had back in there was this, but parents criticizing the church. Can you, I mean, can you believe it? You, you, you pick up your family and go to another country and all you do is criticizing the structure. It, it makes no sense. The kids are even listening. One of the rules in my house is like when we jump into our vehicle, we got creatures in the bad. We got these little two people. And now, now I got another one. And it's like, you have to consider that they're, they're listening to the things that you're doing. And that can get you in trouble. Because the, the hearts of these young, young men are listening to what, what you are saying. And, and again, this is something the ministry just bring to the family, you know, God called you and you're engaged, you go to another country, you're, you're planted, and then now you're just criticizing. And, and kids are listening to that. They lose their heart for the mission because they're observing. That's why we need to make sure that they know that, that there's blessings really just to uh, follow the Lord, serving God. They need to see that. And I close with this, encourage obedience by pointing out the consequences of sin. And I think James probably took a little bit of that. But man, um, sin is, is brutal. And, and any forms, types, and shapes, you know, uh, our kids are going to literally inherit the things that we do if, if we don't address those with a proper heart. That's why accountability is so important. That's why when you are in the field, what I was talking yesterday, unless you're engaged with your spouse, and then when you go out there and you don't have accountability, but you are accountable to your spouse, man, that, that means everything because now you can move on your children to, to think that there's real consequences when you're not accountable. But if you cannot even be accountable to your own spouse on, on simple things, same thing, you got an audience, the kids are listening.
They are watching Matthew 21, 15, 16. And when the, so this is, uh, you know, children are precious for the Lord. They, they are precious and there's so much that we can take out of Jesus. And I close, close with two verses out of uh, the, the book of Matthew. But Matthew 21, 15, 16 says, And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased for, for the, the worship of children, and said unto him, how does know thou the say? And Jesus said unto them, Yeah, have ye never read out of the mouth of babies and suckling? Thou hast perfect praise. That's it. It's our fruit. It's our children, man. They, they, they are important. So do your disciples too. Matthew 18, 14. Even so, it's not the will of your Father which is in heaven, that one of these little ones shall perish. God won them all. So, and if we're praying, I mean, I don't know where you're at. I mean, I know there's people listening here somewhere. I mean, I, I got feedback that the first session was phenomenal. I think they, well, let me tell you, as a single, you can grab a lot of this. As married, without kids, you can grab this, but it is important for us that are considering that calling to engage our relationships as a single, as a marriage, marry, and with our children. Those relationships with our children are very important because kids can literally disqualify you. That, guys, that's why we travel with our kids. You know, you need to take your kids when you go to a mission trip and like let them know that this, this has value because it's important. I don't know. I mean, does that make sense? Good. James, his PowerPoint should be next to you. Oh. All right. Let's keep going. Now, I'm going to be back in that weird passage where I was two days ago. Judges 11. You can put up that, that next one. Yeah, children. Yeah, the next one. So in Judges 11, we see a mission strategy that wins now but loses the future. Quick review of Judges 11. There's this guy named Jephthah. And if you just well, if you just look at it, it says you know he was he was the son of a harlot, and then his his you know then then, then Gilead uh, gets a wife, and they have more kids, and the other kids go, hey, you're the son of a harlot, get out of here, and they drive him out. So they kick him out of the family, they kick him out of the land, and then they but it also says he's a he's a mighty man of valor. This dude's a soldier, and then when they come up against war, they try to bring Jephthah back. Like, why don't you come and fight for us now that they need him? And when you get down uh, to verse 9, Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head? So he's making this deal. He says, if I come back and I win that battle, do I get to be king? Do I get to be the judge? Do I get to rule over you? And that was his deal. And they said, yeah, sure. And so they bring him back, and he makes a, a vow to the, to the Lord that uh, if... If I win this thing, whatever comes out of the door of my house first, I'm going to sacrifice to you. And the Bible makes a point to tell us that he has one child. He has one daughter. He has no other future. He has no other heritage. And what happens is the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he goes and he wins the battle, and he comes back home, and his daughter runs out, and now he has to sacrifice his daughter. And he does. And that's how the story ends. So this guy gets a victory. 
but at the cost of his children, right? He has no future. He has no lineage. He has nothing that will, that will remain in Israel uh, of his name now. And this is what happens when we don't do missions wisely. We'll go, and we may even get victory initially, but at what cost? Do we sacrifice our children in order to get an immediate victory or a victory in our field? Now, there's, of course, this is, this is you know, again, crazy passage, crazy stuff going on. Uh, let's just start with the obvious. Don't murder your children. Okay? Can we just say that? I don't think I need to. It was a bad plan. But the other thing that's crazy about this is Jephthah, you know, he, he ends up judging for six years and then he's gone. He's not on the scene for very long. But when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, you find him there. God actually mentions this guy that when I read through his story, I go, this guy's a disaster. He didn't do anything right. He murdered his kid. And God goes, well, there's not enough time for me to talk to you about guys like, uh, he's in a verse with Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. And you go, oh, they're kind of all screw-ups, but they're there. But then the verse ends with, I think, David and Samuel. Also screw-ups, but men after God's own heart. Right? And so, so in God's eyes, this guy had some stuff going on, but he, he was still a screw-up. Anyway, so here we go. A couple things that we can take away, and then we won't leave time for you guys to ask questions. And, and uh, Rosie's here. You can, ladies too, you can pick her brain on, on all topics that we've covered, missions related. Number one, what's going to hinder us uh, you know, in our relationship with our children. First thing is seeking or the wrong goal, just having a wrong vision, actually not understanding what we're being called to do. And, and, and the danger on missions is sometimes we start with the right vision and we get out there in the field and we don't have the body around us and we see all that's going on and, and mission drift is a real thing. You know, companies uh, deal with this where they start to lose their, their purpose and they start doing all these other things and they can't do it well but it happens to us too and you saw that in that verse I just read Jephthah said if I come back and God gives a victory do I get to be your head so you see immediately what Jephthah's heart was what his what his vision was what his end goal was his end goal wasn't God's glory his end goal wasn't God gets to defeat his enemies and I can just go on living he didn't ask can I just rejoin God's people. You guys drove me out because my dad hooked up with a whore. Uh, can I just come back and be a part? He didn't want any of that. He wanted to rule, right? And so part of this is maybe it's him just getting revenge. It's like payback on his, on his, on his half-brothers. He's got some sort of motivation that's going on here, but it's not God's glory. So anytime we enter into ministry or missions and we drift away from God's glory being the primary thing that we're shooting for, we, we will always put our children at risk because we're going to start focusing on things that benefit us instead of God and things that benefit me specifically. It's always going to come at the cost of my, my time and my investment in other places. So my wife and my children will suffer if my mission gets drifted off of God's glory and off of him accomplishing it. So, uh, you know, maybe... Maybe his vision is he needs to right these perceived wrongs from his past, and, and that happens to us too. We see maybe things in our own past or in the, the lineage of our church or the lineage of our family, and we think, if I can just go back and write those, none of that really actually matters to you and me. When, when that becomes our focus and we're, we're trying to fix the past which was gone, 
but we sacrifice the future which is yet to come in order to do it, right? So all I got to do is actually take what God has given me to work with now. And I think even, and specifically with children, this is what happens. A wrong pace can be a wrong goal, okay? A wrong pace, even in missions, and especially on the mission field, when we get the wrong pace, uh, maybe in our lead up, we get really excited, we get real antsy and we want to go. Uh, and so we're driving too hard and we're dragging our kids or we're dragging our wife. Or when we get there, because when we get there, man, once you finally landed, you're going to feel like I got, I got to get everything done and I have so little time to do it, right? Christ is going to return tomorrow. And so I got to learn this whole language. I got to meet all, every, everybody and I got to learn the culture and then I got to lead everybody to Lord before Christ comes back tomorrow, right? And so we get this furious pace. And again, you know who, who, who we sacrifice when we get going so fast and we get this pace? It's our kids. I'll tell you the story. Luckily, my wife's leaving right now because that'll help with the story because she remembers it. And should, she would just tell you how big of an idiot I was. So, you know, we got there. It's early on in our time in Pakistan. And I'm like, we're going to learn the culture. We're going to do everything that they're doing. I'm going to, I'm just like, I got to get out there and I got to meet everybody. Remember, maybe you don't know this. I just said, my wife's pregnant. We found out two weeks before we left, we're pregnant with our third. We've got a two-year-old and a three-year-old, a pregnant woman, okay? And uh, uh, I was like, we need to go to the market because everyone goes to the market. That's where people go here. And she's like, it's, it's raining and it's like, 48 degrees. It's kind of cold out. I was like, that doesn't matter. The locals are doing it, so we're going to do it. And so I dragged my family out in the rain. And really when I say raining, it's actually a monsoon. I guess it's like, it's as deep as like, it's up to here on my kids and it's like ice cold. And we got to walk like two miles to go to the market. But I'm like, that's okay because that's what the locals do. And we're just fitting in with the culture. So I'm dragging my wife and my kids. Oh, let's go to the market. And I'm loving it, to be honest. I thought this was, a, this is fun. Like I'm out in the rain, I'm with the locals, we go to the market and we're like walking back and it's, you know, it's like two miles, you gotta go through the neighborhoods and I just see my wife and my kids and, and they're like dying, right? I'm just, but I'm dragging them on because I have the wrong vision, I've got the wrong pace and, and I'm bringing them in and, and, and we're almost back to our house and we're standing in this puddle. I don't know, it's like, it's deeper than our rain boots so we're all getting wet and it's raining, and cars are driving by, and I'm like, we just got to round the corner and get back to our house, and I look at my wife and my kids, and she's like, I think by that point, she's like carrying all of the kids, uh, and I'm just marching on in the rain, and I get back, I'm like, this is good, like, we're living like the locals, and she's like, your kids are two and three, and you just took them out in a monsoon, and you thought we needed to go to them, you should have stayed out longer, I needed to finish this story, what are you getting at? And she's like, you're, you're going to kill us, bro. And I was like, oh, okay. So uh, when we get out on the, on the mission field, we, we really have to be sensitive. If we want to be effective in the ministry, we need to be sensitive to the pacing that our family will allow us to, to go at. And I guarantee you, Thomas, they will not go at the pace you want to go at. Because you and me... We got to get out there and we got to do it. We got to pound it out. And if we go pound it out, because this is the other thing that happened, you know, so, okay, so I learned that. Like, I can't drag, can't drag my kids through the city every time I want to go out. So, so I started going into the market and 
uh, the culture is like you just talk for hours. You just sit down and have tea. And uh, she would do simple things. She would say, James, can you go to the market and get me some garlic and some tomatoes? Because you buy everything fresh and bring it back. I'm going to use that for dinner. So I went out at like 11 o'clock in the morning to go to the market to get her the things she needs to make dinner. And then I come back at like 8 o'clock at night. Like dinner's done, kids are in bed. She's done the rest of the day. She's thought I was murdered already. She's like, this is Pakistan, we're new here. She's pretty sure I'm dead. And she's like, holy cow, I come back and she comes out. She didn't come out with like timbrels and dance. Like this girl, this just, it wasn't that kind of welcome back. She comes out and she's like, what, what'd you do? And I was like, I was evangelizing. Like this guy wanted to sit and have tea. So I had tea and the next guy wanted to have tea. I had like 10 teas and I just shared the gospel with everyone, and here's your tomatoes. She's like, get those tomatoes out of my face. We ate peanut butter. No, that's not true. We didn't have peanut butter. We haven't figured out how to get peanut butter yet. But, uh, you know, so even me on my own pace without them, I realized again, like, I cannot go at these pace. I, I have to make space for them, right? So in Genesis 33, verse 13 and 14, Jacob's responding to his brother after they've reunited. He said unto them, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and the herds with the young are with me. If men should overdrive them in one day, the flocks shall they'll, they'll die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before his servant, and I will lead on softly, according as the cattle that goeth before me, and as the children be able to endure until I come unto my Lord and unto Seir. And this is a really important principle for us with our children. We, if we overdrive them, we will kill them. Even at home in ministry, even as pastors around here, you know, there's, there's those cliches or stereotypes about pastor's kids and mission's kids and, and how awful they are and you always lose the next generation. It's because a lot of times we overdrive them. And when we overdrive them, we kill them. And so we need this principle. We need to take it so. And, and, and I guarantee you as a missionary and as a pastor, you're going to feel like at times I'm not getting as much accomplished as I want to. But listen... Jephthah got his victory on the battlefield and he lost his daughter, right? And that's the trade you'll have to make. Like, you can get your victory here today, but you won't have your kids in the future, okay? Um, you know, and I think part of the failure, and I mentioned this the other day, Jephthah probably didn't communicate to his daughter. Like, he didn't, she didn't know the whole thing about this vow. And uh, we got to keep our kids in the loop. Uh, and I think a lot of this, too, is dependent on age. We need to start to understand. If you have kids, you should study uh, stages of growth, especially if you're thinking about moving to another city, another country. You're thinking about the mission. Uh, you need to at least generally be uh, have an understanding of how kids are going to process information at different ages and what they're able to, to receive and, and how early you need to start talking to them. But you do need to start bringing your kids in those conversations and your wife. We talked about that a little bit, too. If you just show up and be like, all right, kids, we're selling all your stuff, we're moving, uh, that is tough. I know because I did it, not by choice, but when we got thrown out of Pakistan, we had two weeks to sell everything, uh, cut all relationships, and be on a plane to leave the country or go to jail. And so our kids had to move fast, and some of them weren't able to process that. It was hard for us to process, but we have... We have, we have more resources and more experience built in to help us process that. There, you know, there was one evening uh, after we had sold everything, and we still had to be at home for another day, I think. The only thing left in our house was one mattress on the floor like we're all going to sleep on. 
And I'm sitting in, in the bedroom with my son, my middle son. He was two when he came. He doesn't remember anything outside of Pakistan, but we're just sitting on the floor and all he's just weeping. Right? He doesn't even know how to process all that. He's looking around his room and it's empty. He's like, where's my bed? Right? And by that time he's six. You know? And so I'm just I'm just holding him and we just sit there and we just cry for a long time because he doesn't know how to process all this, right? So if you have the opportunity, you talk to your kids, right? And you bring them into this thing with you. Next, number two, uh, things that'll that'll kill our our future, being too religious or too cultural, right? That kind of plays off the back of what I just said in terms of having a wrong vision. Um, but when we conform to local expectations, uh, when we should be conforming to the expectations that Christ has given us, then again, we're going to run the risk of sacrificing the future because we jump in, and especially in cross-cultural missions, we say, well, I have to look like them. And we talk all, so much about assimilation and, and fitting in, you know, so we got to do everything to fit in. But but when we become too cultural, our kids are going are gonna to hurt for that. Now, um, I think I like to use First, First Chronicles 22 as well when we talk about how to build our children and how to build into that. You know, this is David getting ready to build the temple, and uh, God tells him he can't, and so he's going to give the, the temple construction to his son Solomon because he's a man of peace. David's a man of war, right? And so in First Chronicles 22, David, what he does is he actually starts preparing for Solomon so that he can do it. And, uh, you know, I did the, I, I made some of these kind of mistakes, uh, and, and I've seen it in some of our teammates. They, they dive in, and they just want to be so cultural that they, that they throw their kids into it. So in our culture in particular, in Pakistan, everybody went to an Islamic school. And if you want to have the most impact, people would tell you, then you put your kids in a local school and they go to an Islamic school. That's being cultural, but that's a, a level of cultural adaptation that I could not stomach for my children because I know what Islamic school means. It means they're memorizing the Quran for about seven hours a day and doing uh, math for about one hour a day. It, you know, it's, it's indoctrination. In an attempt to be cultural and say, I'm going to try to win these families through my children, what that would have provided for me was Muslim children. And that's something that cannot happen, right? And so I had to make some cultural adaptations. Uh, homeschool was not a thing in Pakistan, but there was luckily a, a Christian school actually. So we, you know, we kind of put them in Christian school, and you could also consider homeschooling. But those things were were countercultural. But it's worth it in order to keep the, your children and to keep the future. You don't actually have to be so cultural that you fit in on everything. So uh, even with my wife. In, in Pakistan, you know, you got a lot of long clothes. You got to cover your elbows. You got to cover your knees. You got to cover your head. You know, if, if any other man were to see her elbow, it's probably because she's a whore. You know, like that's the big, the big thing, right? Like, I don't know what's so sexy about elbows that but you uncover them elbows. So in our, at our house, um, we didn't have a dryer because those don't exist. So you dry everything on a clothesline. So she was washing clothes, and she's out in our yard. She's actually wearing a Pakistani cover right now. She just didn't have her head covered because she's a rebellious woman. She's out there trying to do laundry with her head covered, and every time she'd been down to pick stuff up, this thing would fall off, and she's like putting it back on, and she would come in, and she was so frustrated. She hated laundry. She's like, James, I, 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 hate, I hate everything here, and that's what will happen. Like All of a sudden, then you hate everything. It's like the laundry. No, I hate everything. And she's like, but this is what people taught her. If, if you're not 
you know, virtuous in their eyes and covered up appropriately in their eyes, you're going to hurt your husband's ministry. He won't be able to lead anyone to the Lord if you don't wear your head cover. These are the cultural things they told her. And these are the things that were being taught, right? And I said, that's stupid. I can't, again, I can't, I can't lose my wife to the culture because if my wife breaks, our mission's over, right? If she can't tolerate it, then we're done. And so I have to make accommodation for my wife as well. I have to make accommodation for her to be able to be a part of this long term. If you're, pl if you're playing it wisely, you're always looking into the future and you're looking generations down the road. You're not looking at the right now. You're looking for fruit that remains. And I told her, don't, don't wear the head thing. When you do laundry, when you're on our property, then you know what? If, if people look in and see you wearing it, I don't care. Then I won't, I guess I won't minister to those people. I'll go to, I'll, you know. If I share the gospel with them, they say, I saw your wife's hair. I'll say, well, okay, I'll move on. There's 200 million people in this country. It'll be okay. But it was, it was more worth it to me to have a wife who could tolerate doing laundry than to have an opportunity with every person in the country. Okay? I had to keep her. Um, you know, and so, you know, the, the sons of Eli, they were sons of Belial, and they knew not the Lord. But they were religious they're, they're serving kind of in the office of the priest. They're going through the motions. Or at least they're showing up at sacrifices to get meat out of it, right? So they still had this religious role, but they had no clue who the Lord was. So we cannot, you know, we can't, we can't do that. Um, David had that same, same idea in, in 1 Chronicles 22, 5. He said, David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. The same idea about, you know, caring for the children. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent. I just like those words. Exceeding magnificent of fame and glory throughout all countries. Uh, yeah. And then he says this, I will therefore now make preparation for it. You see, if we're going to have a ministry that's exceeding magnificent, that brings glory to God in, in all the countries, we have to take David's approach that says, my, my kid's young and tender. He's not built for this work. So I am going to make preparation for it. And so David prepared abundantly before his death. And so he's investing in his, in his kid's future from the get-go, right? And so he starts building a lot of things into his kids. One, one thing that we see him doing is that he's actually establishing the foundation. And I'll just give you this quick thought. Um, our kids, especially if we go cross-culturally, uh, at, at, to some degree are, are going to get different foundations than we had. Now, hopefully not in biblical principle and what we're getting in the home, but my kids growing up, even in a Christian school, but in a, in a Muslim nation, and are, are getting influenced. Those foundations in life are being set by the people that are around them the most and speak to them and have their ear plus the culture. There's a lot that influence our foundations. So if we would have been able to continue there, I would have grown up with, with kids that uh, would have had even some some differences in, in perspective and, in, you know, a different foundation laid than I had laid in my life because of the cultural differences. But what David says is, I want to be the one who's, who's hewing those stones and setting those really important stones in place in my kid's life. So no matter where you are, if we're going to have kids that uh, are, are, are going to survive the mission, we still have to make sure that we, and this is true everywhere, you know, we don't, we don't ship them off. We don't, uh, delegate the, the role of parenting and setting those cornerstones, those foundational stones in their life. Now, they're going to build on it 
different cultural things and you know that's okay as long as those foundations get set right um number three we see this in judges 11 with jephthah um he's willing to sacrifice for the mission but he's not willing to sacrifice for his children our children need to know that we are willing to sacrifice for them our children need to know that we are willing to die for them this girl watched her dad walk off to battle knowing that He's a mighty man of valor, but this is war. He can die there. And I came to the to place where, you know, where I was at peace with going and dying on the, for the mission. Like, if, if I need to die in Pakistan, that's okay. We had those conversations. And, and even, you know, thinking about losing your own children. Like, if, if God were to take my wife and my children while we're in Pakistan, I'm okay with that, right? That's a hard thing to work through, but you got to come to peace with that. But then something else you have to work through is, but am I actually willing to sacrifice at the same level for my children? My children have to see me sacrifice for them. So back to the the market thing, like I realized I can't go to the market and spend all day evangelizing people because because what I'm telling my wife and my children is I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice for those out there more than I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm not giving you time. I'm not investing in you. And my kids have to see that because kids are astute, even the little tiny ones. They start picking up on things real quickly. They can see what's going on, and they can see hypocrisy. They recognize when there's a different standard between when you go to church and when you're at home. Mom and dad talk differently at church than they do at home. When guests come in, mom and dad act differently than they do when guests are gone. Kids see those things, right? And so they pick up on all of that. And they have to, they have to see that me as their father, that I'm willing to, to make some sacrifices and do some things that hurt in order to in order to continue to invest in them. So in our prep, we have to sacrifice even in the prep. Uh, you, you get this, you know, this same kind of story everywhere. We lived through it. I had to learn how to, again, balance my, my family time and my investment in my kids. There's a book called We Died Before We Came Here. It's a story of a, a family that went to uh, Africa. The husband's martyred. Uh, it's kind of the, spoiler alert, the end of the story. Uh, but they talk through the same thing. Like, it's always the same. We always start too ambitious, and we're all gone all day, and then we have to re- figure out how to sacrifice for our kids, but not just sacrifice behind the scenes. It is good for our kids to see sacrifice. So even in you know, 1 Chronicles 22, verse 1, then David said, this is the house of the Lord, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together strangers, and then they're going to build the house. And the first thing that David is doing with his son is he's just setting an example and he's pointing out a few key, a few key things to uh, to his people. You have to teach your kids the value of what really matters. This is the house of the Lord. This is the altar. We have to teach our kids about worship and we have to teach our kids about sacrifice. If you want to prepare your kids for, for service and mission, then even from a young age, teach them about the house of the Lord and the altar. Teach them how to worship and teach them how to sacrifice. Even in little things, that will prepare them for the mission and prepare them to go and to take those next and bigger steps into, into service, worship, and sacrifice. Well, I want my kids worshiping and serving and sacrificing. Last uh, point out of Judges here. Um, you also have to be willing to abandon a bad plan. So not just to make sacrifice, but actually, your kids need to hear you say that you were wrong. Right? So when I mess up, 
when I spend too much time investing and I need a, you know, I need a course correct and I come back, of course, I'm having that conversation with the Lord and with my wife. And there's, there's, you know, this thing in us that goes, yeah, they're two and three, you know, five, six, seven, like, okay, we'll just fix it and they'll be okay with it. But there's a lot of value in us as fathers coming back and being like, hey, I messed up a little bit. I'm sorry about that. Right? So here's Jephthah. He comes back from, from war and his daughter comes out and he's made this vow. So, so what are Jephthah's options? One, he can keep his vow and kill his daughter. Okay, that's an option. Two, he can uh, disregard the vow. And then, you know, maybe under Old Testament law, if there, were, if there were men that heard him make the vow before the Lord, then they are actually are supposed to stone him. He should die for breaking his vow to the Lord, right? So he's in the spot where he's got to choose his life or his daughter's life. And what he says is, I'm not willing to die for, for my daughter. I'm going to make her die for, my, for me instead. That's, this is jacked up. Or the third option I think that Jephthah had is he could have just tried to repent. And be like, God, this is a really bad vow. I messed up. This, this is a dumb idea. And what happens then? Who knows? Maybe the Lord forgives him. Maybe the people forgive him. Uh, but most likely, that's the option he should have taken. Like, this is a bad idea. All right, I messed up, kid. And so, this uh, uh, you don't need to bring the kids into all the details of, your, of the disaster that you are. Um, but they pick up on the things that are going on in life, right? And I want my kids to know that it's okay to mess up. Even big people, even missionaries, even pastors mess up. And I want my kids to learn early on how to start saying, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't do this right, but let's fix it together. And so that's going to help you as you, um, you, know, you bring your kids into any ministry, into any mission endeavor. Uh, you, wanna, you want them to, to know that your heart is in it and your heart is with them. And you're going to be able to keep their heart doing that. So. It's important, I think, to, you know, to, as we heard in that first night from Jay, to just to, to take initiative. Like in missions, you go and you attack and you try a lot of things. There's not a lot of books that are going to tell you how to do everything you need to do in, in missions and church planning. And so you try a lot of things and some of them don't work. And so, you know, if you're actually out there going for it, you're probably going to have to tell that to some people in your life more often than not. You have to tell your wife, like, hey, we've been trying this. It didn't work kids. We tried this. It didn't work. A couple course corrections. Those foundation stones haven't changed, right? But how we manage it, Mike. All right. So uh, those are some thoughts on, on managing our children and preparing. I wanted to leave some time to answer your questions. And if you wanted to hear Rosie's perspective on, on parenting and, and getting ready and prepping, or if you just had questions about anything else missions related, if not, if it's Saturday and no one has slept enough, then we'll leave early and go eat lunch. Rosie, go ahead. When, um, when James was talking about being really busy and being out at the market and being gone a lot and his pace was different than ours, I, I just wanted to add that if you have your kid's heart, and if you have your spouse's heart, then even when it's a time in ministry that needs to be really busy and they need to be out of the house a lot more, then um, it tends to be a lot more okay. Um, so 
communicating that and you know if you have a family member or friend and you guys love each other and you have each other's hearts and you're there for each other and someone makes a mistake it's so much easier to forgive and move on and it doesn't affect your relationship as much and so same same thing with your spouse and your kids if you have their heart um, if you spent time with them if you know them and they know you and can share their heart um, you guys's hearts together um, then when those really busy seasons come and he needs to be gone all day for three or four days straight then there's not as much trouble that comes from that faster pace of life so um, just an option is to take your kids out on dates when the time is slower get to know your kid e each of your kids is different ask them questions and get to know what they like and don't like and what they're struggling with um, and listen listen to them and then you're always going to know when something's out of tune because you already know your kids questions comments concerns on the field mm -hmm. yeah so we put our kids in a local school plus we had a small church group so they did have friends uh, that were most of their friends were believers um, which you know I'm, I'm fine with because they're two and three and four and you know five six and for them the primary role at that stage wasn't to be evangelist and so I didn't need them doing the ministry and so I just, you know, we just managed them like any other relationship. You know, we, just, we wanted our kids to have friends. We wanted them to be able to engage and to play. And so we had to make time for that. You know, we'd invite friends over. We'd go to their house. And, um, I, I, you know, we didn't really do anything particularly unique. Yeah. And I do think a couple of thoughts. I think your kids are your first mission field. You probably hear people say that. Yes, you absolutely want to invest in your kids. You want to see them saved. A lot of missionaries will say your kids are your first mission team as well. And I agree. Uh, but again, at a certain level, I want my kids to be a part of the team. I want them to know that they have a role, that they weren't just kind of drug along, even though they were drug along because they're too young to have a, a, a voice. Um, but again, as, as I recognize their ages and stages in life, their role will change. So when my kids were real, were real little, you know, they didn't have any real role in the mission other than just being there and being, you know, being cute. Like they help out. But as they get older and even now here, I've got 12 and 11 year old sons, they, they actually have roles. They're starting to learn how to engage in the mission. And so now friendships mean something different. They're in a public school here. And so we're managing friendships here probably the same way we would if we were still in Pakistan, where you just have to think about your influences. You have to think about how, you know, how those people will help to set foundations in your life. And some of that can be bad. So uh, I think there's more. We were we were too young with our kids to do it specifically there. But as they get older, like friends, re friends really matter. Um, I was a nurse, so I had to learn it in, in nursing school. I mean, I am still a nurse. Was was the wrong word. And she went to school for early childhood development, so we have textbooks. Good books. Anybody? 
Yeah. The Bible will will absolutely see, give you good instruction. Go back and listen to Jay Shug's postscript episode where he talks through the stages of growth. Now that's spiritual, but there it's it correlates to where we're at physically as well. So there's some really good you can pull really good principles out of that. Um, and then you can just look at, you know, people that have come up with philosophies and, and, and ideas on how kids grow and you can get ideas out of it. You're not going to, it's never going to be perfect when you're dealing with philosophy. Uh, the Bible is your best, your best option, but there, there is also don't throw the philosophy away because people who spend years watching the habits of kids and how they respond, you can, you can glean from that. There's a lot there. So sorry, I don't have one specific answer. Let's start Googling it. Yeah. There you go. Larry Fowler, Raising a Modern Day Joseph. LFBI as a course plug. Yes. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. Good question, Michael. Um, so what do you do if you don't have a Christian school? Well, you know, I think, I think every parent has to wrestle through that. Um, I, I don't think it's my responsibility as a pastor, even here at Midtown to dictate to people how they, uh, where they should put their kids in school. Now, I do dictate how they should raise their kids as far as the Bible dictates. The Bible gives us some very clear parenting instruction, and that becomes my manual. And as a shepherd, there are certain things that I have to tell parents and say, do this because God said it. Now, but God doesn't say, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, Kansas City charter schools are okay. Um, you know, Lee Summit School District is okay. Blue Springs is no good. You know, he didn't give us that kind of detail or he doesn't even tell us you know christian school yes public school no homeschool is the only way to go at the end of the day no matter how you choose to to school your children you have to keep a mindset that says i'm not i'm not again passing off the responsibility to raise my child to somebody else nor am i passing off the responsibility to invest spiritual things into my child. That will always be, first and foremost, the parent's responsibility, it, even if I put them in a Christian school. So I can't put them in a Christian school and expect that they're going to get everything they need out of the Christian school. Like, that's not an, 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 an opportunity for me to quit parenting. Maybe, know, depending on the Christian school, maybe being in a Christian school actually means you have more things at home that you need to follow up and talk about depending on the 
the theology of the Christian school or the struggles of, of the people in the school. You know, sometimes kids get in a Christian school and they think, well, then everyone's Christian. But I see that uh, the other kids in middle school, they're smoking weed. And I see that they're talking about um, sex or they're looking at porn. Like they're struggle. There's still kids that are going to struggle with the same thing. So that sometimes that's even harder because they go, oh, I don't know how to deal with this. My kids are in a secular school. So in some ways, it's a little easier when they come home and they go, uh, our teachers are telling us that... Uh, Boys can be girls, and it's okay. Well, that's because the world's jacked up. Let's talk about that, right? So I, if I wouldn't have had a Christian school in Pakistan, what would I have done? Uh, we would have homeschooled. Like I, for us, it, again, I couldn't have put him in, into Islamic indoctrination at that young age. That's, that's a strong thing. So we would have homeschooled him and then found other ways to get them engaged. You know, put them in some soccer. I mean, cricket. That's what they do there. And let them get around kids. Parent, parent your kids. In the house, our kids don't have phones, so they don't have personal access. Um, they they like YouTube, and they have certain YouTubers they watch, but you can never you can never, you know, until they're adults, they should not have unfettered access and unsupervised access because the 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 YouTube wormhole. Oh, has anyone seen how far? How far off they'll they'll end up if they just let the algorithms take them. Like they could start with Bluey, some silly little cartoon, and then like you know, twelve videos later, it's it's in the darkest stuff you can get. Um, my kids aren't ready to manage that, and so they don't. Uh, they they have access to YouTube in in limited times in public spaces in our house when we can oversee it. Um, you know, sometimes they have to wear their headphones because we got other things to go on in the house, but I prefer that they don't so I can overhear it too and I want to hear what, what, you know, people are saying. And some of it can be great and educational. Like my son loves Mark Rober and he thinks he wants to be an engineer when he grows up. So Mark Rober does all these engineering things and generally his content's really great. But then they also like Mr. Beast who kind of does some silly stuff but then also doesn't you know his language isn't great and he's got this trans character that's on on his channel now so you know there's things i gotta we have to filter uh again that's like education i think every person has to manage that themselves um what we know is that the brain doesn't fully develop until you're you know in your early 20s so these influences that we're allowing into kids' lives uh, in their in their teens, preteen, even preteens, are, are very very dangerous. Uh, it does impact brain development. It impacts the way that they're able to process. And, and when we allow them unfettered access, they will find they will find um, pornography, or at least 
soft introductions to it very, very easily. Right. And that that's one of the things that I think I'm really worried about. So for us, they don't have it. Uh, my son's getting old enough where he's going to need a phone uh, to communicate because he's going places now with his peers, uh, but it, he doesn't need internet access. Once they get that old uh, and he needs a phone, um, I think the rules are, you know, I, as a parent, I would rather I would rather them face all of these types of struggles while they're in my house. So my position isn't, well, they get nothing until they're 18, because then all of a sudden they're 18 and then uh, they're kind of on their own and they've got to figure it out on their own. Like I do want to actually um, expose my kid to some of this stuff while they're in my house so I can help them process through it. So sometimes, sometimes I, when I'm chilling, I'll, I'll flick through Instagram and I'll let them sit and watch with me and things will pop up. And it's not great for them to see it, but it's okay. It's better that they see it with me because now we can talk about it. You know, this guy's doing something silly and then he starts cussing. And I go, okay, that's not good language or, you know, makes gestures, whatever. I think if you, if you try the, the head in your sand approach and then just turn them loose at 18 or when they go to college, you're going to be in a bad spot. Like I, I want, I want to help them process all of these, these things as much as I can. And we would never, even once they get it, they, they can't have their, their tablets in bed after dark. I mean, it all comes out. Nothing's in your room. Just general ideas on. Yeah. Yep. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and that was the model, you know, for a long time. Uh, boarding schools were the model. When we were moving to Pakistan, there was a Christian boarding school there, and they actually said, uh, all missionaries who come in the country, it's required to send your kids to the to the Christian boarding school. And we said, no, we're not doing it. Even though it's Christian, it's boarding. It was what an hour and a, hour and a half drive. It wasn't too far from us, but we said no. And kind of our generation of missionaries that were coming in, they all said the same thing. We're all like, if that's it, then we're not coming. Make your choice. We're gonna not give not giving you my kids. But that was the model. For, for the whole world. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I talk about that in our Missions One course. I think that does actually tie back to to what we what we saw with our father of modern missions and just he he lost his kids and you need someone to take care of. Over here. David, was that you? Yeah. Yeah, every every kid in my kid's school feels like has a phone already. So, I, you know, you try to I try to set hard rules, but I know it's not going to happen. I tell them just don't look, like just don't, you never look over your friend's shoulders, never look at someone else's phone, because you never know what's coming up. It's just a bad idea when you're young to look at the at content that someone else is driving, and so that's the. You know, I try to make as the as a rule for them, but I know in reality they're they're going to. They're not going to follow that because we could say it's the world we live in, the way kids are wired now. Like they're attracted to the screen in a way that I would say I wasn't. I don't know why, but um, but it, it comes out. I think even though I, we tell them that we try to build these principles into them, uh, just stay away. Just let the the crowd have it. It always comes out in their in their speech or their actions. Like they'll 
the things that they're getting exposed to will always come out. And so then you just have to follow up again and talk to them about it. Uh, I try not to be overly harsh about the fact that you're looking at it. I just keep pointing it out. Like if you, I mean, if you keep peeking over your neighbor's shoulder, when there's, when there's no one to help, you're, you're 12. You don't know, you don't even know how your own brain works yet. You don't know how to think. And you're, you're letting a 12 year old guide you. This is a dumb idea, but sure. Well, first of all, I think there's this old mantra where they say, never, never let your kids see you fight. I think that's a bad idea. Actually, I, you know, what we have to do first is set the boundaries, like we talked about, for how we're going to disagree and how we're going to have discussions. But I think it's good if our kids actually see that we do at times have conflict and then we work through it. So if they're going to sponge something up, I want them to sponge up uh, the fact that mom and dad disagreed and then I saw how they were willing to uh, take the wrong and to sacrifice for one another and to give up their 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 priority or their position, you know, all of these things I want them to start picking up on. And so I, I think it's okay, personally, that, it, you know, if they see some conflict. Now, again, think about how old they are and, uh, you know, there's things that they probably don't need to be privy to. Um, but uh, how, how do you, we, we manage it? Uh, again, you, I think I want to I wanna model it. And most of the things that I want to do, I actually, again, I want the opportunity to speak into it while they're in my home. So I'm okay with them seeing conflict and then we just model it. But then also as a parent, I think the place where we put it to practice though is between the siblings. So our kids don't do a good job of, of dealing with conflict between each other. Typically, so we got two boys that are 12 and 11, they're best friends and worst enemies. And that changes about that quick. Like, all of a sudden, they were playing, and now they hate each other. And then it goes back. But what they never do is actually deal with their issue. Like, they've just decided, okay, we're going to play again. And so they, they build up all these, this resentment. And by the time they explode, it's like three days worth of, you had your socks on me. And then, and then you, you touched my screen while I was playing. And, and we're like, that was three days ago. So... Again, they're, they're, they're 12 and their brains don't work and you got to teach them actually how, like, let's deal with the moment and then let's let go of the moment. Yeah, it, you know, I think first you got to define what's best biblically because living in America, we're going to define it differently, right? We're going to think about uh, the wrong things and, and it's probably going to lean towards being more uh, in in you know, the realm of things and providing. and So um, you actually don't need to provide a bunch of things. They need, kids, what we know is they need um, to feel secure. They need love. Uh, they, need, they need boundaries. These are the things that are best for kids. This is what science has shown us. This is what the Bible already told us. And then science has figured it out later. So if you actually do those things, your kids are going to be Okay. When we were getting ready to leave for Pakistan, it was really hard, though, because I had to wrestle through this idea that, am I putting my kids and, and my wife in unnecessary danger? Am I taking them to a place where, where the Taliban's going to come and kill them? When I went to El Salvador as a single guy, it was easy, even though there was remnants of civil war and gangs everywhere, and they're like, it's pretty dangerous there. I was like, so? I'm single. What's the matter? 
But when I was considering my kids, it, there was actually quite a process that we don't have time to talk about really now uh, of God having to bring me to a place of peace where essentially, you know what, the position I was at was God is the only one who can provide for my kids. That's where I was at in, in America, sitting here in Kansas City. But I realized that I didn't believe that because I doubted that he could actually provide for my kids when we got to Pakistan. So, you know, if my kids were sick in America, I would pray that God would help them not be sick. But somehow I couldn't take them to Pakistan and, and trust that God would be able to protect them. And so God had to work that out in my heart. And I just had to come to a place where I was able to, to let go and turn my kids over and trust God with it. You know, were they getting the best in terms of education? No. The education they were getting was pretty poor. Um... Were they getting the best in terms of like technology and physical things? Or are they they having all the stuff that their American peers would have? No. But they had the things that were necessary still. You know, they were they were secure and they were loved and they were being instructed and so that's a really short kind of generic answer because we're already kind of getting over time. But we can talk about it if you want more instruction. To America? Yes. Life is so much easier over there in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. It was it's 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 probably good to live in the bush, you know? Uh Justin's gonna have some advantages, Bedwell being raising David out in the bush. Yeah. But yeah, I mean there's struggles. Every every missionary that we were with who had kids. Their thought was, I just want my kids to be able to get into an American college. I want them to get a, a good college education. Because in Pakistan, you don't want university education there and other places in the world. That's kind of the way they think in general. And that's why boarding schools happen, so you can prep them to be able to get into college. And then you're, you're, by that, you're setting them up to be successful in life. But if we, again, if we sacrifice the spiritual principle and the parenting, then we're still not setting them up to be successful, even if they can get an engineering degree and make good money right so we hope this message was a blessing to you if you're interested in learning more about the living faith fellowship visit lffellowship.com god bless